must stay at home. Stay at home. Stay home. Stay at home. You should stay at home. During lockdown, the message everywhere is to stay home. But what should you do when you don't have a secure place to live? I'm out here. I can't just go and self-isolate if I want to. You know, like somewhere safe. I can't do that. Will the Chancellor bring forward urgently now measures to protect renters? Because I don't want people to have to make the choice between whether they pay rent or whether they self-isolate. At the end of last month, the government gave councils 48 hours to house all rough sleepers in their areas. There was also a temporary ban on evictions put in place and the government called for landlords to be compassionate in their dealings with their tenants. We can have a hotel commissioned by the local councils where all people can be isolated together. Nearly £1 billion of support for renters. Any decent landlord should be allowing their tenant to not pay for two or three months if they can't. But has the government gone far enough? What else could they do to make sure no one loses their home during the pandemic? And can we really end rough sleeping just like that? On this episode of the Weekly Economics Podcast, we'll be looking at the next economic fault line of the coronavirus crisis, housing. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith, recording this podcast from my house. Stay with us. This week, we're joined down the line by Joe Bezik, NEF's Head of Land and Housing. Hi, Joe. Hi, Aisha. Thanks for being with us. Are you also at home? I'm also at home. My my home is is actually a boat, um, but I'm I'm trapped on my boat for the foreseeable future. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, let's try and make this quick then. <laughs> so let's start with renting. We all know that lots of people during the coronavirus crisis are seeing their incomes cut or lost entirely because of the economic shutdown. And we spoke to Sarah Arnold last week about some of the government interventions uh, for workers specifically. But could you tell us what's on offer for renters? Yeah. So obviously, the main thing that we're facing is a public health crisis. But at the same time, as we all know, we're facing like an economic crisis of vast proportions. And with millions of workers uh, across the economy likely to lose their jobs or at least a large proportion of their income. And this is going to affect many people in the economy, but one group it's going to particularly affect is private renters. So private renting is a bit of a contradictory tenure. On the one hand, it's the most expensive form of housing, but also it's the form of housing home to a large number of people in poverty. 35% of people who live in the private rented sector live in poverty. And it's the most expensive form in that 33% of incomes on average goes on rent or in places like London, 43%. Whereas for homeowners, mortgage homeowners, it's only 17%. Across the country and in many places, people were already struggling to afford their rent. But with the loss of incomes, having to rely on universal credit or slipping through the cracks in the government schemes, many people very quickly are not going to be able to afford their rent and so are going to be liable for eviction from their home. So the government was fairly quick on this and identified that renters are going to struggle and also at the same time a public health crisis which requires us all to stay in our home during lockdown uh, is not compatible with thousands of people being evicted from their homes. So they announced what they called a suspension of evictions. In fact, uh, following like even a little bit of scrutiny, that didn't really stand up. It didn't pause current evictions. So after the government announced this, many households were evicted from their homes and it didn't stop landlords initiating evictions. It just added an extra month notice period onto the evictions. The renters movement and housing bodies kicked up a fuss, pointed out that that was a totally inadequate policy. So we're now in a situation where the government has committed to what it calls an eviction ban. Really, it's an eviction deferral. 
So it's illegal for a landlord to physically to evict you from a property during this period. So if a landlord issues an eviction notice, you do not need to leave your house. However, when the emergency period comes to an end, the law as it stands and the guidance as it stands means that, you know, with the three month extended notice, uh, people could be evicted from their homes for, for rent arrears. The government has said nothing to mitigate against that. Mm, okay. And so what about changes to housing benefit? We're going to come back to evictions a bit later, but I'd, I'd read that the government has said it's going to raise housing benefit to cover those in the cheapest 30% of private rented properties. And I know other folks have said that's not enough. What does this mean in practice? And is it going to be enough? So you can't be evicted during the emergency period, but you can rack up enormous rent arrears. If you lose your income, if you lose your job, then you won't be able to afford your rent and you'll have to make impossible decisions between heating and eating. And so over time, you'll be an enormous a debt to your landlord. That is still a valid reason for eviction. There is no, the, the government has not outlawed evictions based on income loss during Corona. What they have announced is an increase in housing benefit to the 30th percentile of the market. When it was first introduced, housing benefit could afford a house in the bottom 50% of a local renting market in a given area. That was then cut to 30% around 2008. And then since 2010, under the austerity era, in some places, it's now close to 10%. So housing benefit only covers the bottom 10% of properties in a market area. If it covers 10%, then 90% of renters are renting in a property that's more expensive than housing benefit covers. So what they've expanded housing benefit to is the bottom 30% in an area, so restoring it to uh, 2010 levels. So obviously that will provide cover to a large extent, although the system is delayed and it takes a long time to get the first payment for those people in the bottom 30%, but not in the 70% above that. Alongside that, many people don't receive housing benefit. They receive all of their benefits together through universal credit and they've expanded the housing element of universal credit and they've across the board increased universal credit by £20 a week. So they've put some measures in place to help renters afford their rent, but they're by no means adequate. Lots of people under these measures won't be able to afford their rent. Okay, and one last thing on the government scheme then. They've also offered a mortgage holiday or freeze or something for homeowners. Can you tell us about that and if you think the benefits of that will trickle down to renters? So the government, as part of its package for households, has brought forward what it describes as a mortgage holiday. This is actually, I would say, a a bit of a misnomer and indeed was a policy that was already like on the books, already existed. So what this is, is a suspension of payments on a mortgage for a period of time, a holiday from payments, but it doesn't freeze the account. So a mortgage accrues interest. And during this period, if a mortgage holder applies for a mortgage holiday, they won't need to make any payments, but they'll need to make higher payments in the future. So the banks actually, even though they're deferring an income stream, they're not foregoing it. And in the long run, because of the extended period to accrue interest, they will actually are likely to make more money as a result of this mortgage holiday offer. So the offer to homeowners or mortgage homeowners and indeed landlords is also quite weak. Okay. Okay, so that is too good to be true. This is becoming evident. And generally, it sounds like what I'm hearing is the suite of measures put in place by the government. Not not even all of them have been put in place. Some of them were already there. Um, but it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. And and that's already becoming excruciatingly clear. Obviously, the pandemic and the kind of mothballing of the economy that it's led to, you know, turning off 
overnight 30 to 40 percent of the economy and then the jobs crisis that that's created is going to create decades long problems for so many people but one of the most excruciating ways that's going to happen and on current government policy is going to happen quite soon when lockdown ends is potentially many thousands of people are, are, are going to lose their home. The government has issued guidelines that in cases of rent arrears due to coronavirus, landlords should act with compassion and reach an agreement with their tenants. But we're already hearing at NEF, we work with different groups in the renters movement and speaking to you know colleagues in the London Renters Union, they're already hearing from tenants who are approaching landlords and asking for a renegotiation of their rent during this period due to financial problems and in return they're receiving an eviction notice. I'm sure some landlords will act with compassion but potentially a, a large number of landlords will not act with compassion. The government relying on guidance, the government relying on the goodwill in order to prevent an evictions crisis down the line is surely misguided and the figures are already coming in so a residential and commercial tenancy consultancy put out figures saying that uh, of the rents that fell under their research only 49% of the total value of rent was paid on rent due day towards the beginning of April. So apparently normally it's closer to 80 to 90 percent. So that's a huge drop. So already a large number of residential tenants are not able to pay their rent. Or on the other hand, and this is something that the renters movement is hearing from its members, people are continuing to work in order to be able to pay their rent. So people are not being forced to not respect the government's social distancing guidelines. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about some of the stuff that uh, you're calling for around this. So it looks like renters, as you've said, are at massive risk during uh, the coronavirus shutdown. And you're calling for an immediate and total suspension of rents and mortgage payments, if I'm right. What does this mean? And why do you think that's the right way forward? So we've been doing some research looking at different people in the economy and, and how they're going to fare in relation to the crisis. And the, this research has shown you know, loud and clear that the, that it's renters are one of the groups that are going to be in the most peril. And, and The Guardian, in tandem with the renters movement, did some really useful research at, at the weekend where they found that six in 10 renters have already suffered financially due to the crisis. And of those, one in five, you know, 20% have already had to make a choice between food, bills and paying their rent. So the, the scale of the problem for renters is huge. One option would be to increase uh, benefits, but the benefit system is already overwhelmed. In the, in the fortnight to the beginning of April, there were already one million new applications for universal credit. There's already a delay. So there's already a significant delay of over a month in receiving those benefits, even if your claim is paid on time. So people are going to be racking up large amount of rent arrears before they've got the benefits. And then also our research shows that even with those payments, they're not going to be able to pay rent. So we think that the benefit system is not set up and will not be able to get the money to where it needs to be in the right amount of time without an absolutely enormous cost to government, whereas a rent suspension policy carries relatively low fiscal cost. So we're calling for the, the suspension of rents during the emergency period. So no tenant would be legally obliged to pay rent under their tenancy agreement during this period. And, and the way that we say that might be able to be achieved is by suspending temporarily the rent arrears grounds for eviction. And so, so what that means is tenants would not need to pay their rent during this period. Landlords would not re receive rent. Obviously, that's going to have some consequences, which I can go on to talk about when we talk about 
mortgages, but in terms of keeping people in in their homes, not forcing people to go to work and vi- violate social distancing guidelines and preventing an eviction crisis down the line, the rent, a rent suspension really is, it seems to us, the only way to go. Okay, so let's unpack the kind of nuts and bolts of that a little bit. So one of them was uh, the point that you raised around the impact on landlords. I know last week when we talked about nest proposals around the minimum income, one of the things that Sarah was saying was that a lot of people, even at the higher levels of income, had been experiencing difficulty during this time because they hadn't necessarily been prepared for the crisis and therefore able to kind of amend their outgoings and stuff like that. So what would you say to people who say, well, if I'm a landlord and I'm not getting this rent, then that means all these other things, all these other dominoes are going to fall. And what are you going to do about that? I mean, landlords are, you know, workers within the economy and obviously wouldn't work if we just turned off rents. What we need to get get to is a situation where nobody loses their home. And so the solution for landlords is the solution for mortgage homeowners. So as I talked about earlier, the inadequacies of the existing mortgage holiday. So we're calling for for all uh, mortgage properties, whether they're tenanted and so rented or whether they are owner occupied. We're calling for a mortgage freeze. So no one who has a mortgage will be required to pay any money on that mortgage during the emergency period. And in addition, and beyond the the mortgage holiday, that mortgage account would not accrue any interest. So the banks would not continue to make profits on this mortgage around half of landlords own homes without a mortgage. But for those landlords that do have a mortgage, their largest cost, which would probably be their mortgage, would be completely removed during this period. But would that, because one of the things that uh, I know to be true is that unfortunately a a lot of uh, landlords, actually the mortgage is is a small part of what they charge as the rent. The rent can be, you know, as you know, up to 10 times what they actually pay on the mortgage. And so on that point of if they are expecting a kind of um, income of X amount a month and their life is set up in that way, would suspending the mortgages really help to alleviate the up to kind of, I don't know, 80% of outgoings that might have been coming from rent that weren't actually going on mortgage that were going on other things like car payments and god knows what else i understand where that point comes from many landlords will be self-employed some won't be self-employed and you lose your primary income stream rents many will lose their primary cost mortgages but obviously it also pays their income it also meets other costs and so they will be eligible to apply for the government's jobs guarantee schemes as you talked about with Sarah last week, those jobs guarantee schemes are not ideal. And Neff is arguing for a minimum income guarantee where everyone is guaranteed what uh, the Joseph Rowntree Foundation estimates to be the minimum required for a decent standard of life, which is £221 a week. And so irrespective of whether we get a minimum income guarantee, the landlords would like so many people in the economy now will be temporarily not receiving an income stream and so will instead be relying on government support for their income. But landlords generally are not going to be among one of the more vulnerable groups as large in society, whereas renters often in overcrowded accommodation doing low income and insecure jobs are. So the balance here to me is quite clear. Mm. Okay. All right. So let's talk about how much all this would cost and whether this would be a temporary thing uh, or it would go on after the crisis. Kind of unpack it a bit more for me. So uh, how much would it cost? Well, um, I mean, it's not really the answer, but it's fun to say. It's almost free. It doesn't really cost anything. 
so there's one other major element of the policy that I haven't discussed. Um, so we've got the rent suspension and then we've got the mortgage freeze. And so who who then is taking a hit? If, if the renters aren't taking a hit, the landlords aren't taking a major hit in terms of their mortgage costs, then the actor taking a hit are the banks and other financial institutions who provide mortgages. Mortgage income is a huge income stream for banks, uh, seven billion a quarter in mortgage mortgage interests. And so the mortgage freeze, la- banks will be asked to defer a large income stream. So this could c- create cash flow problems. So what we've suggested is that the Bank of England should provide very low cost loans to those banks in order to smooth over the cash flow problems caused by the mortgage freeze, and then uh, pay them back when they when that income stream, which they haven't lost, they've just deferred, comes in. But the combined total of all those things, and then the increased reliance by some uh, property professionals and landlords on, on income guarantee schemes would be relatively small. What's happening here, and it's, you know, like, like, like so much of the economic response to the coronavirus has been, it's just turning off the economy, which means that renters don't have to pay rent. And likewise, homeowners don't have to pay mortgages. Um, so obviously, the suspension of rents and the suspension of mortgage payments is not likely to be a policy which the government is going to take forward in the long term. But turning it off overnight would be... Uh, so obviously, lots of people are going to lose their jobs. It's going to have enormous effects on the on the labour market. And even when the emergency period ends, it's not like all those jobs or self-employed income streams reappear overnight. The dent on our economy and people's incomes is going to be really long and really deep. Um, so what we need to do is unwind it slowly and carefully. So at the point at which rents become due again, we do think it's appropriate, especially given the lead in time to, to, to develop capacity and the system and the ability to get payments, that we do need to expand housing benefit to uh, shelter and so on according for the 50th percentile of the market. So we do need that support there, which helps renters who've lost their incomes pay rent when those rents are due again. But also over time, there is a risk that some landlords might attempt to re- recoup lost costs through increases in rent for so on. And also many of the more successful economic places in the country also suffer from very high rents, which are a drag on the economy. So in order to prevent landlords recouping lost costs and also in order to keep as much money in, in, in tenants and, and spenders' pockets as possible, it might be appropriate to implement some sort of rent freeze or rent control for a period after this measure. Uh, at NEF, we've been looking at designing what a rent control model would look like for London. In a survey, the vast majority of people support rent controls. And so this would be a really good opportunity to kind of uh, introduce rent controls to our system, control rents, make housing costs more affordable, but also help the economic recovery. And, this, and by the sounds of it, there's also a very kind of robust ground game of folks organising around this as well. Yeah, so so as I've talked about, the reason that we know in detail that people are already suffering is because we have something in this country that we didn't really have three to five years ago, which is like a thriving movement of private renters, you know, demanding the enforcement of their rights, the improvement of their rights, a fairer private rented sector, cheaper rents. And these renters unions across the country, you know, most most notably Living Rent in Scotland, ACON nationally, and then the London Renters Union, their members have, have really had an amazing amazing response to the corona crisis, both building up the knowledge that we need to understand what policies we need to have, but also uh, informing their members and tenants of their rights not to be evicted during this period. And so the growing power and strength of the renters movement and, and the urgency of the situation suggests I think we might get there.
Mm. Okay, so we're coming to a close, but I wanted to talk about one more kind of aspect of the housing crisis, which is homelessness. Uh, The government says that more than 13,500 households have been placed in emergency accommodation by their council. How has this happened? And does this mean basically that all rough sleepers now have a place to stay? How has this happened? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's very interesting to see, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, since 2010, homelessness has more than doubled. And while, you know, various prime ministers and, and, and the housing secretaries promised to end rough sleeping, it seems to be, a, you know, challenged too far often, but they ended it overnight. I mean, not quite overnight, and there are still rough sleepers on the street, but um, accommodation was found for the large number of people who were rough sleeping in a very short space of time. And so, you know, on the one hand, we ask, why, why, why couldn't we have done this sooner? But I mean, on, on a more serious note, like at the moment that the homeless community has been put up in all sorts of unsuitable places, it's important for them to have a place to offer the street, but they're in hotel rooms without, you know, cooking facilities or they're in recreation centres or former Airbnb, Airbnb places. So it's very much a temporary measure. The government has committed just 3.2 million towards the cost of accommodating uh, rough sleepers. As many listeners will know, a large part portion of the homeless population are not actually rough sleepers. Those people are sleeping on the street. They're living in temporary emergency B&B accommodation due to a lack of social housing or they're sofa surfing or they are sleeping in hostels. And so there's still a large number of people out there in extremely unsuitable places, especially when we're being asked to to social distance. So the government has solved it or is on the way to solving a problem in the very short term, but in an unsuitable way and in a way that can't last for very long. Mm. And when this is all over, are there any kind of, is there any inkling of, of what will happen to all these people who've been placed in emergency accommodation? So the government has made no comment about that. But but what does give me a little bit of hope is that once, you know, a, a, a proportion of the homeless population or the, and, and a large portion of the rough sleeping population have been given accommodation, you know, you would hope it would be seen as spectacularly callous by the government to turf them out back onto the streets as opposed to providing them with a longer term housing solution and the support that they need. It's also an extremely, I mean, this also applies to renting, but it's an extremely complicated area, particularly for those broad group of people who have irregular immigration status or on or on a visa with no recourse to public funds. These people might have been housed during this, but they also are not, not ordinarily able to access benefits and the support that they need. So it's really important that the government's response right now, but also in the long term, doesn't only apply to those workers in the formal economy or those people in the formal private rented sector and not those people with irregular or uh, immigration status who, who can't access public funds. Mm, okay. So all of that on the homelessness and rough sleeping issue sounds pretty short term, but you've got some ideas about what we should be doing next when it comes to homeless people and corona. So could you tell us roughly what some of those ideas are? Yeah, so as I say, I am hopeful that there is a moment now for providing adequate housing for like those people who most lose out from our housing system and our economy. And I've just on the streets, sofa surf, are in, in inadequate temporary accommodation, families crammed into a single room. And so we would argue that we need social housing. So social housing with its secure tenancies, more affordable rent is surely the most appropriate form of, of, of housing for people who, who, who have been formerly homeless. And so the question then is, how do we deliver a large amount of social housing without 
actually building anything or without build or not relying on building to do that because obviously the construction industry has been in part mothballed we would have to wait a long time for many houses to be delivered so we're doing some research at the moment looking at the role that empty homes and empty home management orders and compulsory purchase of empty homes could potentially play in providing some in the short term increased social housing numbers likewise we're looking at you know to what extent can the government step in and buy market homes obviously one effect of the economic crisis is likely to be a something of a housing market deeper housing market correction there might not be as many buyers for new market homes that are coming onto the market can the government in the areas where they're needed buy large amounts of these uh, homes, perhaps at a price closer to cost to ensure that, you know, uh, the CEO of Barrett Homes or so on doesn't, you know, take home another £75 million bonus off the back of the crisis. But can the government be a buyer of these homes and turn them into social housing? Likewise, is there going to be a number of homes showing up on the market from, for example, the short term letting sector, which is obviously taking a large hit? These homes might be already quite set up for a rental tenure. And so is there a space for the government to buy these so so we can access the you know potentially hundreds of thousands of new social homes that we need in order to find adequate housing for uh, people in the most need as, as as soon as possible okay well i'm looking forward to kind of doing a deep dive with you on that policy i'm sure uh, on a future episode very soon but for now joe uh, joe on the boat thank you so much for the comprehensive walkthrough of uh, where we're at with corona and housing and thank you lovely listener as always for tuning in that's all we've got time for but if you're hungry for more we'll be following up this discussion in an online briefing over zoom on thursday the 23rd of april we'll be talking to neff's own housing researcher hannah wheatley and you can keep an eye on our social media or sign up to our mailing list for updates on that we'll include the link in the podcast notes as per the usual. joe bezik thanks so much for joining me if people want to find out more about your work where can they go what should they read how can they find you Oh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, they can follow me. <laughs> you sound so excited by that. I'm well, surprised. you know, what else is there to do under lockdown other than Twitter? Uh, <laughs> Joe Bezik one, I think. Maybe I should check that. I think it's Joe Bezik one. Awesome. So that's it for today's weekly economics podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell someone about it. As always, you can drop us a line with your comments and questions. We're at Weekly Econ Pod on Twitter. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith. Stay safe.